Good morning. It's, uh, as we move into the Parshas in Shemos, in contrast to Bracious, where essentially it was about incredible people finding HaKadosh Baruch Hu and HaKadosh Baruch Hu rewarding them for that effort, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, rewarding them for the efforts of working to find truth, to uh, not only pursuing the truth, but to living the truth throughout the generations. Uh, that's gracious. Learning about special people, learning about how to, how to think, how to behave, uh, so much about uh, implications for the future generations. While that is certainly true in Shemos as well, in Shemos we get introduced to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the full fashion. We get introduced to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in all of his power and all of his glory. As Ramban points out, these parashos are clearly a message to the rest of the world and of course immediately to us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is intimately involved with our lives. There's no, there's no distant God, there's no God that started putting things in motion and then decided to, you know, move into some other galaxy somewhere. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is involved, and the Nisim, the miracles, the Makos, everything proved that. When we look a little bit into the Mepharshim, we get to see exactly the nature of, of that God, this great, incredible being, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who we now know isn't just about us finding him, although that's obviously true, we have to in our own hearts, we have to find the Kodesh Baruch Hu, but the Kodesh Baruch Hu also goes out of his way to let us know he's there. And that's certainly the message of, uh, of these parashos, um, the Makos, Kriyas Yamsuf, Matan Torah, it's all that theme. There's a very famous question that's asked, and I think the Sephora's answer to this question even gives us... Uh, a further insight into the nature of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who is this incredible God that runs the world and is involved in our lives, and what his, his, his modus operandi, so to speak, in terms of how he relates to us. Because we know, we know the rules and regulations, we know that there, is a, there, is a, there are laws and there are repercussions, all of that, we know that, and certainly there is, it's an awesome God. There's a sense of awe about the power and the greatness of this force that created this incredible universe. But there's certainly, uh, as we know, an incredibly loving God that we have to understand and appreciate. And that's really uh, where so much of our love of him could come from, needs to come from, and appreciation of him could only enhance our voters Hashem. So the very famous question asked by, by many of the Rishonim, and the question is on the, on the Posuk in Ve'era, Vani Aksha Eslev Paro, where at the very beginning of the Makos we get this message, and it's a message that's reiterated again and again, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to harden Paro's heart. And the obvious question that they ask is, well, what happened to Bechira? Bechira is a fundamental principle of, of life. We, need, we know, and that's certainly all the Muslims from talk about it, and it's basic in terms of pure logic. If we are going to be rewarded or punished based on what we do, if our eternity is dependent upon what we do here in this world, well, if there's no Bechira, if we're programmed, pre-programmed to do a certain thing at a certain time, uh, in a certain way, well then, how could we help be held accountable? We, the only way that this entire system uh, of life and death makes sense is if there's accountability based on our freedom of choice. So while 
the philosophers have grappled with this. That's certainly we're not we're not going to go there right now. Uh, some people find it a too difficult a question um, to even deal with. Others don't see it as being so difficult. But that's that's uh, for another another topic, another time. But the question is, if bechira is fundamental to reward and punishment, I have the choice to act in a certain way, and if I act properly. There's Hashem, this tremendous reward. If I don't act properly, then we know there are repercussions, there are consequences to those actions. So what's, what is Vani Aksha Slave Paro? How's that Baruch hardening his heart? He has no choice. How in the world can he be punished for a position in, uh, that's being, that's happening, for a position that he's taking, which is un, not under his control? He's saying no, no, no. Akash Baruch is making him say no, no, no. So if you say no, you can't go. No, I'm not going to let you go. No, that's all HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing. Where is the room for punishment in this situation? So many different approaches. And it's a great topic for the Shabbos table in terms of how people maybe could uh, come up with ideas of their own and see if they match up with the Rishonah. We give different answers. Wonderful conversation to have. But I just want to share with you a Sephurno. Because Sephurno really, uh, really gives us an insight into HaKadosh Baruch Hu one that he talks about throughout the show, so one that we have to really live our lives with every single day on a regular basis, because I think it's so critical to, to our relationship with that Kodesh Baruch Hu, and the positive approach we have to take in life, and, and the, the recognition of the love that a Kodesh Baruch Hu has for us, for every single individual throughout the world. It's really every human being. Yes, there's a special relationship with, with Klai Yisrael, but the truth of the matter is every human being has this intimate relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or needs to have this intimate relationship. And he says that when, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm going to harden Paro's heart, he didn't mean I'm going to make it impossible for him to make decisions. It just means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to remove the natural reaction of a person whose arm is being twisted and you're twisting it, and it hurts, and he's ready, uncle, you say, uncle, I'm done, I, I, I give up, right? The guy bangs in the mat, uh, you know, and he, or he says, you know, where the boxer says to the referee, I'm done, okay, well, TKO, you're out. Um, Paro would have normally done that. All HaKadosh Baruch Hu did was give, give Paro superhuman, superhuman ability to absorb these makos, to take these makos, and still maintain the, the strength to say no. He l- let him remain with his Bechira. Typically, when a person's arm is being twisted, there is no Bechira. I'm being forced into submission. I'm being forced into saying, go, go. <laughs> not, not because I'm doing tshuva. It's because I just can't handle it anymore. Please go. Yeah, yeah, Jews, get out of here. I, I can't take these, these makos anymore. That would have been the typical reaction. Is that tshuva from Paro? Or is that simply an acquiescence to a pressure that he can't handle? It's not really tshuva. Tshuva is when you can make a decision, when you look at the situation and say, I'm wrong. I need to change. I need to better my life. I need to improve. I've made some terrible choices. I need to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's tshuva. But if somebody's banging you over the head and making you do something that you really have no choice of whether or not you can do it, that's not called tshuva. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu only meant when he said to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm going to harden Paro's heart, what he meant is, I'm going to give him throughout these makos, even though typically any other person would have submitted a long time ago and said, I'm done, please go, do me a favor, just get out of my life. No, I'm going to give him the strength 
the strength to be able to handle them or to be able to take them and to sort of uh, maintain his equilibrium so that if he did make a decision to do tshuva, it would be true, a true tshuva. That was his purpose. That's, that was his purpose to paro. And the Sephardah says that was his purpose in, in afflicting the Mitzrayim in general with these Makos. Because yes, certainly they deserve punishment, but the Sephardah is very clear that was not HaKadosh Baruch Hu's motivation. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's motivation is when you see truth, when you see you doing something wrong and you get a clop, and you get a potch, and, you, and you're reminded about, hey, you know, maybe you need to straighten out. Instead of an honest individual, instead of complaining and this and that, well, maybe... Maybe there is room for improvement in my life. Maybe I have to look at myself, take a good look at the mirror and see where, I, where can I come back? Where can I do tshuva? Where can I uh, fix certain things that I'm not proud of? This was HaKadosh Baruch Hu's entire motivation, says Zafuno. Clearly it was for Klai Yisrael as well in terms of the, the messages to them about what kind of loving and compassionate God there is vis-a-vis the Jewish people. But there was really the paramount logic and the paramount motivation, he says, was... I want the Mitzrayim to do tshuva. I don't want lo yachvot mos hames, says, says the Novi, and that's what Sephardic calls. He doesn't want people, uh, Rishon, to die. You know, that's not his goal. Like, it's just you get rid of them. No, he wants even the, the most negative people. Paro himself, who certainly was manif- manifesting horrific behavior. But I want him to come back. Let me see if I can get him to come back. Let me see if I get the, get the Mitzrayim to come back. Because when you see truth, then you are inspired. Lo dia, he says, she call Ela yifal keil amgever. Lo shiva love. He did it. I want you to see what I do for my nation, what I do for my people, Klai Yisrael, who I've chosen. So I want you too to come back. This is the, the incredible message of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's love for us. How, how no individual, no Jew, no, no person ever should ever feel so forlorn. Because no matter what we're not proud of, we're certainly not the Mitzrayim. And we're certainly not Paro, who some people rank as one of the most evil people in, in, in all human history. And yet the Sephardah is saying to us, Kishbarcha wants him back. He certainly wants us back. He certainly wants us not to feel how many people often feel that my sins have sort of buried me and have consumed me to the point where there is no return. I can't come back. I'm, be, I'm beyond reproach. I'm beyond hope. No, no. Chas v'shalom. This is something that we have to we have to feel that love and think about on a regular basis. This is Hakashbarhu's level of concern. And he will turn over the world. Just stop and think what he did here. He turned over the laws of nature. All ten makos are are uh, at least for sure nine of the ten. The tenth makos Bukharis, he actually says was a punishment. But the first nine, he says, were were messages to the world. I'm willing to turn over the world for what reason? Come back to me. Come back to me. I don't, want to, I don't want to see you further slip away. I want you to come close. This is the love HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for us. If this is the love HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for us, and our job is to emulate HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right? there is a fundamental mitzvah in the Torah, one of the last mitzvahs in the Torah, but no less important than the others. Maybe one can argue maybe even more important because it really covers the entire gamut of human existence of Becoming v'halach to bedrach of following in Hakadosh Baruch Hu's ways, of emulating Hakadosh Baruch Hu, of looking the way Hakadosh Baruch Hu conducts himself, and we conduct ourselves the same way. V'halach to bedrach we have to follow Hashem. So, what do we have to do in terms of the people we care about, the people we we come in contact with, 
of us delivering a positive message at all times, of pretty much letting them know no matter what happened, I'm open to, I'm open to forgive you, I'm open to help you, I'm open to connect with you, and whatever is, whatever I can do for some other person is what I need to do. Because we have to, again, think about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Oh, the person hurt me, that's it, I'm done. I'm never going to talk to them again for the rest of my life. Whoa. You know what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does with us? You made one, well, you said you did one Avera, that's it, we're done. You're out of here, and you're excommunicated, I want nothing to do with you. Just the opposite. No matter what a person does, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's waiting. He's waiting for the, for the Mitzrayim. He was waiting for the Mitzrayim to do tshuva. So don't we have to emulate that same type of conduct? And we have relationships instead of sort of just knocking people out and just uh, writing them off to always embrace them. And if also trying to bring them back, how much more so do we have to also make sure they don't drift far away? To make sure they, that we don't do things that would alienate them and just sort of, uh, I don't care about you. How horrific of a message is that? And how counter is that to the meat of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Just one other example, incredibly, the, just how far Kodesh Baruch Hu goes in sensitivity. And this is true, it's about Moshe Rabbeinu, but it just again gives us another glimpse into this incredible love that Kodesh Baruch Hu has for everyone and how far he'll go. And the, the Chizkuni, one of the great Rishonim, mentions that when, where did Moshe Rabbeinu come, which relationship did he come from? Yocheved and Amram were married. Now, Amram marrying Yocheved was really against the subsequent law of the Torah. Because the Torah says you can't marry your aunt. And, have, and uh, Amram married his aunt. And says the Chizkuni, that's why if you look later on in, in Parshas um, Mr. I'm sorry, I'm sorry Parshas Kedoshim, and you look at the punishments for the different ervas, the different illicit relationships, you will not find a chorus for the punishment for living with an aunt. All the other relationships have different punishments, death penalties for various illicit, uh, horrific acts. But when it comes to marrying an aunt, no punishment. Why no punishment? Everything else has a punishment. Why would you leave out the punishment for marrying an aunt? Moshe Benu came from a relationship where a man married his aunt. It was before the Torah was given. It wasn't against the, the law at that time. But that's a fact that it subsequently became, it became prohibited. And therefore, out of sensitivity to Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm going to leave out the punishment. Not so nice to, to, to state that the person gets chorus because Moshe Rabbeinu somehow his honor is being in, impinged upon by, by mentioning that. What, what incredible feelings, what incredible sensitivities that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is teaching us in the way he does, the way he writes a Torah, and the way he does everything that he does. I heard a really... Beautiful story. It's a really a simple story, but a profound story. Because this is, it really sends the message to us in our relationships, especially with our families. Because sometimes we can be so disconnected. We can have sibling rivalries. We can have uh, parents who are upset by their children's actions. We can have children who are upset by their parents' actions. And we can have people not talking to each other and holding grudges and feeling negative about things that who knows how many years ago it happened and just how the opposite has to be true. How for sure, the closest people that we have to us are the ones we're supposed to be the most forgiving and the most loving and the most ready to extend ourselves to the, to the extent possible. And when we do that, we leave such an impact upon people. And for sure, certainly the relationships we have with our friends, how many stories have, have we been told about small actions that can leave such profound impacts upon people? I just heard a beautiful story, not about a small action, about a big, a big action. 
something that was really impressive and profound, but it shows you how far a person could go for somebody else that he loves. And our job is to really love everyone. It's a story about a, about a fellow who, unfortunately, from a fellow who in his, in his 40s passed away. And there was, of course, a funeral. This, uh, this person had a son who was in his 20s who spoke at the funeral. And, when he, and he said over a story about his father. And clearly it was something that we all, everybody was not there, but the people that were there heard the story, were moved by the story, and shared it with others. Because this is a story about a father who understands, who understood what he needed to do for his son. And this relatively simple story is about, about this boy speaking at his father's funeral and talking about the fact that he will never forget the love of his father. Even though he passed away at a young age and even though this was a devastating blow to the family, I will never forget the love that my father showed me. And I was in yeshiva, he said. I was maybe late teens, mid-teens, and I was having a rough time. My father would call me on a regular basis. He'd say, how you doing? How you doing? And I told him, Tati, I'm not, I don't know. I'm having a rough time. Didn't go into details. Didn't say what the problem was. I'm having a rough time. Sometimes there are spiritual challenges, other challenges. I'm having a rough time. That, those were the words. That young man was learning in yeshiva. He had a dira with his buddies. 24 hours later, He's in his dira. There's a knock on the door. And the bocher goes to the door. He opens the door, and who does he see? He sees his father. His father's standing in the doorway. And they embrace. He gives him such a big hug. He didn't have to say any words. He didn't have to say, I heard you're having a rough time. It was understood. You were there for me. You came. The minute you heard, my son is having a rough time, Went to the airport, got a ticket to Israel. Within 24 hours, he was there at that door just to spend some time. He went back. He went back a few hours later. They had dinner or whatever. They had spent time together. He wanted to let his son know, I'm there for you. I will never, ever forsake you. And if he's getting on a plane and schlepping to Israel, how many parents would have come up with an excuse? How many parents would have said, you know what, it's maybe another time. Not just right now. I just I have some meetings and, you know, there's this and there's that. And, you know, what? no questions, no ifs, ands, or buts. I'm there for you. That is a person who emulates the love of a Baruch Hu for his children, for all of his children. To go out of one's way, even if it means canceling some, some meetings and maybe having a very inconvenient uh, 24 hours where now I lose my typical needs of what I wanted to accomplish, I have to be there for my son. I have to be there for my father. I have to be there for my brother or sister. Just the, the, the exact opposite paradigm that so many people have about, well, you weren't there for me. You didn't do this for me. And therefore, I'm going to hold the grudge. Because Baruch holds grudges. Because Baruch says, I, really, yeah, you've done some terrible things. But I'm here for you. Just come back. Just do it for me. Just, just come close to me. I'm here for you. 
This is how we have to live our lives. This is a powerful message we have to take from this parasha, from all the parashas that Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, while it was certainly a message of the manifest power of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world, and the divine message of his, his divine providence and all of the details of our lives, maybe even more than that is the, the eternal unabiding love that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for us. If we feel that, we won't drift away. If we feel that and we drift away, we will always know to come back, Bez Hashem. And that love that we should feel will always hold us close to Baruch Hu, to be, to be able to constantly go and that's to be a Have a good Shabbos.